0: KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 a.m., 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Awful conditions, awful comments. I'm Christopher Cruz. Those stories in a moment, but first, this developing story... We have reports at this hour that Air Force Two, carrying Vice President Mike Pence, touched down in Manchester, New Hampshire this morning and then immediately took off for Washington. A scheduled event featuring the vice president in New Hampshire has been canceled. White House correspondent Sarah Westwood with the latest. Vice
1: President Mike Pence is not going to make it to that opioid event in Manchester, New Hampshire that was scheduled for this early afternoon. But a source close to the vice president tells CNN that Vice President Pence was called back to the White House today but says that it's no cause for alarm.
0: Another story developing at this hour, the House Ways and Means Committee has sued the IRS and the Treasury Department for President Trump's tax returns. Members of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus say they found migrant children living in filthy conditions at a border facility in Clint, Texas yesterday. U.S. Customs and Border Protection Deputy Commissioner Roger uh, Robert Perez said today changes are being made. Uh, we have taken it upon ourselves and now thankfully with the supplemental appropriation that has come through, uh, we'll be able to fund uh, additional soft-sided facilities that we've put up in addition to this uh, outdated infrastructure. Perez says this is the first complaint he has heard from members of Congress about conditions at border patrol facilities. A poll conducted soon after last week's debates featuring most of the Democratic presidential candidates shows a tightening race. Correspondent Phil Mattingly says the CNN poll has some bad news for a certain former vice president. Joe Biden, long the front runner, has seen his lead dwindle to now just five points, losing 10 points from a CNN poll conducted in May, now just leading the field at 22 percent. U.S. Army tanks have been seen on the southeastern edge of Washington, D.C. At least two M1A1 Abrams tanks and two Bradley fighting vehicles are on a flat car guarded by military police in a rail yard.
2: cancer happens to die in oxygen. The tea is great for healthy people and can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. Dehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pau de Arco Super Tea is only $34.95 plus shipping. Order now at DeheboTeaClub.com or call 818-610-8088. Dehebo is spelled T-A-H-E-B-O. So DeheboTeaClub.com, 818-610-8088. The Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands is home to some of the best bargain shopping in the region. Cityware, Style for Less, and Dollar Tree to name just a few. Friendly shop owners and staff are waiting for you to stop in for the many specials and bargains they're excited to share. The Tri-City Shopping Center is located just off I-10 between Alabama and the Tennessee exits in Redlands. Make it your home for all your shopping needs, and you'll know why the Tri-City Center is called the Mall with a Heart.
1: We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 4ignoreMyscore.com right now. That's www.the number 4ignoreMyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 4ignoreMyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way.
2: This is Joe Lyons. Guardian Jet Center honors America now in its 243rd year as the world's leading democracy. 243 years ago, a small group of men changed the course of American history. One of those men was a prominent lawyer from Pennsylvania, James Wilson. Educated in Scotland, he was one of the most learned men in America. In the Continental Congress, Wilson was greatly respected as a legal scholar and as an eloquent, persuasive speaker. After the Revolution, he played a leading role in the Constitutional Convention and was second only to James Madison in the writing of that document. Wilson was also one of the first men appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States, where he served for nine years. On Independence Day 2019, we remember James Wilson of Pennsylvania, who signed the Declaration of Independence and became a founder of Our American Republic. Today, Guardian Jet Center salutes the American way of life. Guardian, the most advanced fixed based operator at the Ontario International Airport, redefines the expectations of the general aviation business traveler, one client at a time. Single engine or cabin class aircraft give Guardian the opportunity to enhance the customer experience. Happy birthday, America, from Guardian Jet Center, the gateway to Southern California.
3: Hello, everybody. Welcome. I'm your host, Hilary Ramo. Welcome to Real Talk. We're going to be discussing cannabis education tonight. As the legal use of marijuana and other cannabis products grows, consumers are becoming more curious about their options. This includes CBD and THC, two natural compounds found in the cannabis plant. CBD is found primarily in extractions from the hemp plant, It's sold in gels, gummies, oils, supplements, extracts, and more. THC is the main psychoactive compound in marijuana that gives the high sensation. It can be consumed by smoking. It's also available in oils, edibles, tinctures, capsules, and more. Both compounds interact with your body's endocannabinoid system, but they have very different effects. So joining me today is my guest. Dr. Yui Bleshing, he's a medical writer, regular contributor in the fields of cannabinoid health sciences, mind, body medicine. Phytopharmacology, as well as evidence-based illness prevention and treatment protocols. In addition to his lifelong passion for integrative medicine, his writings are informed by his own rigorous in-depth research and 20 years experience in emergency medicine as a paramedic for the city of San Francisco. Welcome. Welcome, Yui. Thank you so much for being here.
4: Thanks, Hilary, for having me.
3: Well, this should be a very interesting conversation, and it's one I've been looking forward to having for quite a bit. So thank you for being here. Um, why don't we just get started with who you are? I mean, you've written a bunch of books, and you have uh, been doing this for quite a, quite some time. Tell us a little bit about your story and what brought you to this field.
4: Sure, Hilary. Um, uh, I was born and raised in Germany, and... Um, I went to pre med school in Germany, and uh, at the time I had to wait for about two years uh, to to get my spot and so I decided to travel around the world and to make a long story sh- short uh, I ended up in San Francisco, fell in love with the city, and I kind of never left again now when I came here as a as a young immigrant i uh, med school was Cost prohibitive. It's very expensive. So somebody suggested, why don't you go to Stanford? They have a paramedic program, and try and see if um, if that suits your needs. And uh, I did. And uh, shortly after um, I finished, I got hired by the city, city of San Francisco, and uh, by the Department of Public Health to work as a paramedic which I did uh, until we joined the fire department. The paramedic division was merged with the fire department. And the good thing about being on a fireman's schedule is you have a lot of free time. So I used that time to go back to college, work my way up through a few degrees, culminating in a research PhD, and I um, uh, after about 17 years of working as a paramedic, I came down with a moderate form of PTSD. And so I couldn't do it anymore, but I still like medicine. And um so I stayed in, in medicine, but in a in a different shape or form, and different capacity. One of the the one of my friends or my one, one the, the people that helped me through dealing with PTSD actually also introduced me to cannabis. And it made such a big and profound difference for me that I actually started to grow my own for, you know, a few years for myself and for some other folks who are, who found themselves in similar positions where they needed access to uh, safe medicine. And um, so yeah, that's how I... Uh, um, got introduced to cannabis. I have a bit of a personal experience with it. And, and uh, uh, you know, I started to look into people, you know, when you're in the medical field, people tend to ask you, uh, uh, what's your opinion about what ails them? And do you think cannabis can work for me? And so I would look into it for some friends. You know, I had a friend, of um, arthritis so i researched arthritis and i kept taking notes and finding more and more studies that actually were quite interesting with regards to looking at how uh, cannabinoids are specifically thought to work in cases of, uh, of arthritis for example and so i would then report to her and tell her you know uh, what i've learned when looking into these different studies and um, and then more and more people came along and I would do the same thing. I would look into it. I would take notes and I would report back to them. And then that's sort of like how my first book came to be, the, the Cannabis Health Index, which is um, uh, a sort of organized fashion of all of my loose notes that I uh, took over time to try to um, help people, you know, my friends especially, make more informed and discerning decisions to see if cannabis may be, you know, an appropriate treatment for what ails them. And um, and here we are today, you know, chatting and, and talking about it in in, in ways that um, are, are quite remarkable in terms of uh, how big this field of the cannabinoid health sciences and and all the, the various patient populations that can benefit from it has grown. It's, it's quite remarkable, Hillary. It
3: really is. You know, if I think about all the last few years, how we've watched the laws change and, uh, you know, we've watched society start to accept it and it becomes legal in certain states. And we're watching really a, quite an interesting time uh, to be alive right now to see all this, it reminds me of uh, what my my grandparents and, and older people in my family have talked about when when alcohol became legal and how uh, everything sort of shifted and changed. And so there's a lot of information out there. And when somebody goes online to search out recommendations or uh, ideas of what they can do for treatment, or they they try to seek out a doctor. Uh, a lot of it is very frustrating, actually. It's very difficult to find certain people in legal states that are, are issuing prescriptions for medical marijuana. And uh, so we're, we're really kind of navigating new territory, I think. So one of the things that I, you know I'm passionate about is the THC-CBD uh, discussion. So I'd like to start with that. Um, but before I do, I'd like to tell, re- to tell the listeners a little bit about your uh, the books. You have written three books. One of them is called Breaking the Cycle of Opioid Addiction, Supplementing Your Pain Management with Cannabis. Uh, You mentioned the Cannabis Health Index, which is a comprehensive source book combining evidence-based insights from more than 1,000 studies from cannabinoid and consciousness research, which I'd like to talk about, too, in this hour. And finally, Healing with Cannabis, Optimizing Your Ideal CBD-THC Ratio. So let's talk about that. You know, we hear so much wonderful things about CBD. You can buy CBD pretty much anywhere now. Uh, It's becoming legal and accepted and everybody thinks it's great, well THC is kind of wandering off to the side, uh, becoming demonized and that's the bad property that you want in the (laughs) plant. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about why we need both?
4: Yes, sure. Um, uh, Both THC and CBD are considered the prime cannabinoids because they tend to occur in the plant in in the most abundant concentrations. And uh, as such, they, they tend to have uh, significant effects. And what's quite interesting is that um, both THC and CBD by themselves have a great number of proven effects, some of them therapeutic and some of them adverse. Uh, and, but however, uh, and a third category of effects is actually being generated by the ratio between them. And um, it, it becomes quite imperative to to look at not just the amounts of THC or CBD uh, in the uh, flowers that you are consuming or in the uh, cannabinoid uh, containing products that you're consuming but also to be aware of what affects the ratio between them um, uh, c- can produce in in, in, in 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 people, in, in their body, in their mind, and, and in in fact their emotions as well. And so, so THC is a compound with about 50 proven scientifically proven effects. Uh, CBD trails a bit behind that uh, with about 30 different types of effects. And and these these effects that are produced by both cannabinoids also interact with each other. For instance, CBD is is able to um, reduce some of the um, uh, effects, some of the harsher effects that some people experiencing when using THC-rich products. Um, however, um, you you quite rightly talk about a certain trend out there in the industry of where cbd is becoming you know the, um uh, the 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 hero the cannabinoid the the healing cannabinoid while, while thc gets all the bad press about well this is the 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 one that will get you high and this is the cannabinoid that had the adverse effects associated with this and this is the cannabinoid that that produces the the, the slight uh, psychological addiction potential, which is part of the greater picture, and so so in that in that dichotomy, if you will, in in that p- passion that's that's uh, uh, that's uh, promoted by a lot of the 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 purveyors of of either of these products. You know, it, sometimes it, it, one can easily get lost and take sides and see things in a, in a black and white fashion and it's, 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 it doesn't do the plan nor um, uh, the, the, the patient any service to look at it in that way because the, the, the bigger picture is, is fairly complex and the more we know about it, the more we can make more informed decisions to really create the precise effects that we want in a way that's sustainable.
3: Could it be possible that each person, when they consume cannabis, they're really dealing with their own individual biochemistry? Does biochemistry play a part in a person's experience of cannabis?
4: Uh, Yes, biochemistry and the person's beliefs both play a significant role in uh, uh, the cannabis experience each of us is going to have let me uh, um, explain a little bit by what I mean by having both physiological and and psychological underpinnings uh, one of the largest patient population that's new to cannabis are senior citizens and um, senior citizens, one of the prime reasons they go to the doctor and, and ask about cannabis is the various pains that they're dealing with. And and here is the interesting part is um, if, if you're of my generation or a little older, you've been socialized by the narrative on the war on drugs, you know, the evil weed from Mexico. Um, and... Um, Studies have shown that when people are afraid, uh, when they are anxious, their pain threshold goes down. And so when somebody of, of uh, that patient population goes to the office, they come with an arch- uh, internal architecture of mind that's already um, full of anxiety and full of concerns about, you know, this particular plan. And so any efforts that, that uh, um, they may be making by trying to work with the cannabinoid is already going to be influenced by the beliefs that they hold. So it's already not going to work as well. Besides, to, to convince somebody who is already feeling anxious about using a product is going to lead perhaps to a lot of people not even going the, 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 the second step after going to the office, and actually, uh, uh, even if they fill the prescription, may not even use it because uh, their, their fear got the their upper hand. And so that's the, the the belief, the psychological aspect of it. But then the physiological aspect of it, there's a lot of science behind that shows that, that different people uh, and different patient populations, or even within the same patient population, have different responses to various uh, cannabinoids, especially THC. And there's two prime reasons for that. And that those are two emerging concepts that, that begin to explain why that is. One is called endocannabinoid deficiency. And it's a concept that that's, that's, um, uh, has been emerged in the cannabinoid health sciences as a way to try to explain why different people have different responses. And it makes its own cannabinoids as a way to produce balance. Imbalance not just in one organ system, but in all eleven organ systems. In fact, that is the function of the endocannabinoid system, which is a natural occurring balancing system that we all have. In fact, all mammals have, not just humans. And um, when we're out of balance because of uh, chronic stress, which most of us, you know, are are dealing with, our endocannabinoid system gets weakened. Our uh, endocannabinoid release is being diminished. And as such, um, we are not able to, to be as resilient as we normally would be. The other uh, concept that's beginning to, to be used to explain these differences has to do with endocannabinoid tone. And, and endocannabinoid tone is the, is the idea that, um, that uh, our endocannabinoid system, by its presence alone, is able to produce the cannabinoids, the endocannabinoids, those made by the human body itself, uh, by themselves, in such a way as to uh, be able to face any stressor and and to to produce resilience. And when tone is diminished, just as uh, 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 excuse me, when that endocannabinoid tone is diminished, then our resilience suffers as a result. And so so when endocannabinoid tone in general general is reduced. We have less endocannabinoids uh, to to uh, balance and and to be resilient, and so so the the deficiency can vary in between uh, one person and another, and that is is why it's believed. Um, at least with the current state of science, that that is one of the reasons why two people with high blood pressure may respond differently to a compound such as THC or CBD, for example.
3: Well, I find that very interesting because we didn't learn much about this endocannabinoid system in school growing up, K through 12, you know, and and even into college when you were learning about the body system. I don't, you know, know too many people who have learned about this. Why do you think that this has not been given more attention?
4: Well, if you think about it, it's not just that the public doesn't know about it, but most physicians don't know about it, even now, with all the science that is out there. And there's over 20,000 peer-reviewed uh, studies that are out there that light up on on, on websites like PubMed, you know, the, the international database that's, uh, that's uh, uh, um, monitored and, and compiled by the National Institute of Health. Uh, even though with, with massive amounts of studies indi- clearly indicating the the value of, of understanding and working with the endocannabinoid system, only one in 10 schools are even beginning to teach about it. And so patients or healthcare providers are, are not prepared for um, working with uh, cannabinoids because they don't really have learned or understand the endocannabinoid system and its complex um, uh, interactions within the, uh, each of the different organ system and the organ system, how they communicate with each other. And so it, it comes as, a no, as no surprise that, um, you know, there are two gaps in, in, um, in our healthcare system in terms of just the knowledge that isn't out there and isn't spread and and while it's beginning to change you know, a lot of physicians and a lot of nurses are um, uh, their patients are demanding, their patients are coming into the office and asking about it because most people know somebody who's used it and has gotten some benefit from it. So it's just natural for them to go to the doctor's office at their next visit and ask about it. And and after 10 patients ask you about it, most people are going to be frustrated and, and, and uh, are motivated to learn at least something about it. And so I commend a lot of these physicians that have... Acquired all of this knowledge, and the, the nurses and the other healthcare professionals as well, that are actually listening to their patients and, and and went the extra mile to learn on their own on their own time, if well, to 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 see if they can use that knowledge and apply their their other medical insights and 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 uh, uh, information that they already. Yeah, use in their daily practice. But then, you know, to address those specific needs that, that a lot of people are asking for. And so it's it's nice to see that, that there are more and more people are coming around. And it's a pity that there isn't an organized um, uh, fashion or an organized approach from the medical organizations or from the institutions that are teaching these, these professionals uh, w- regarding letting them know some practicable practical and actionable uh, information that uh, that can really make a difference in terms of uh, addressing their patients needs
3: well i don't know about you but if i were taking the time and money to go through medical school and i got out and i was establishing a successful career and discovered there was a whole system that was operating in the human body which i was now an expert in that i didn't know existed i'd be pretty upset
4: Yes, uh, that is tr- certainly you know one perspective that's understandable. But you know, if you look at, for example, um, uh, uh, there's always new insights, and the fact is that to a point, you know, Western medicine and the the machinery that 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 drives it can't really be, uh, fully blamed for that because the insights about the endocannabinoid system were really only discovered in the early '90s, and you know when you think about how long it takes for a scientific insight to translate the textbooks and into the the curriculums, it it it's a very slow moving process and. And it's a pity because you know there are, by now there is enough data to to um, uh, warrant uh, the use of cannabinoids for over 250 different patient populations that could potentially benefit by engaging the endocannabinoid system, either by trying to work with your own endocannabinoids or with using plant-based cannabinoids and, and while the data for all of these different patient populations isn't equally spread, there's some way the data is just beginning to emerge and it's very thin, but some patient population, the data is, is overwhelmingly clear uh, in, and leaning in favor of, uh, of using cannabinoids for those, for those conditions.
3: Well, I hope we're starting to wake up and change that. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are doing really, really good work and doing that. And I know you're one of them. You also wrote a book called Breaking the Cycle of Opioid Addiction, Supplementing Your Pain with Pain Management with Cannabis. Uh, I find it really frustrating when I go to the doctor and I have a pain issue and the first and only thing that they offer me is an opioid prescription. And when I address my concerns about using opioids and not really wanting to do that, what other options do I have? They kind of look at me with this deer in the eye, you know, deer in the headlight kind of eyes. And they they say, well, this is all we have. And I remember a time when it wasn't all they had. So it really has changed the way that I see the medical field by it's more of a sales job for the pharmaceutical company than it is really anything else. Do you find, that the pharmaceutical companies in this country are really dictating the cannabis conversations?
4: Well, they tried, and they tried successfully. And interestingly, it also started in the 90s when the endocannabinoid health sciences were making some real progress. It happened so that in the early 90s is when um, uh, uh, the pharmaceutical powers that be started to convince or try to convince, and in fact, ultimately, they were very successful at convincing physicians that the use of opioids uh, in terms of chronic pain was a thing that's acceptable and and uh, with uh, with proven efficacy, which turned out to be false and and at best based on on very limited scientific data. But they made a really good sales pitch, and. Uh, and now they're paying the price because there are now an, a number of states suing various pharmaceutical companies and their distributors to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars and they're winning and i mean you see it almost every day in the in the in the news cycle there's another uh, you know case brought against the pharmaceutical industries and more of the corruption and fraud that pushed that idea, the notion that the the science says it's safe to use for opioids. And and it turns out to be actually that is not the case. When I did the research for the opioid uh, cannabis pain book, I had a chance to review the scientific opioid use and for uh, cannabis use and contrast them and compare them side by side. And it was quite interesting. Um, and when you look at pain, you can divide pain in general into eight different types. And uh, you know, there's chronic pain, and there's a- acute pain. There's central pain, and then there's peripheral pain. There's inflammatory pain. There is uh, 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 noxious pain. There's pathological pain, and there's mental, emotional pains, and all the different uh, uh, conditions that that may cause any of these particular pains, tend to fall in one of these categories. So when I did the review of the available literature, uh, side by side, w- using these eight pain categories, looking at, uh, at which, which are either opioids or, or cannabinoids tend to work best for what type of pain. Um, one thing became clear very quickly, and, and, and before I tell you the results, when um researchers check on the efficacy of either opioids or cannabinoids for a particular pain they grade them they grade them on a scale uh, from poor to to poor to possible possible to good there are four basic grades to be had it turns out only gets a a good grade when it comes to acute pains so when you have a broken finger and I have a root canal or, you know, uh, a surgery, please means that's an appropriate use for opioid. Give me my morphine, you know, for the three days for the acute pain to self-correct. Now, for any other of the pains that I mentioned, opioids get a, a, a lesser grade than, than the cannabinoids do. And that was... Quite to see and um, um, but it's even more interesting it's it's in the beginning of the, this talk we talked about THC CBD and the ratio between them and when you look at those three categories it actually divides these three types of, of um, categories into three types of cannabis there are three chemotypes of cannabis that by knowing simply the ratio THC and CBD, you can even be more effective than uh, just comparing opioids to cannabinoids. You can also do a, a, a cannabinoid to cannabinoid comparison and see which type of cannabis tends to work best for these types of, for these eight types of pains. And so it's, it's, it's simply knowing that for, for a healthcare provider will, will probably double their efficacy rate and their their patient satisfaction um, uh, it, when it comes to treating pain. It's quite remarkable.
3: It sure is. In your book, you write, uh, in 2012, 259 million prescriptions were written for opioids, more than enough to give every American adult their own bottle of pills. Do you have an idea of how much it is today in 2019? How many prescriptions are written now?
4: No, because the data isn't available. It's hard to come by to current data. But but as far as, as um, uh, painting a bit of a context, consider this that um, one in three states are considered to have chronic pain, various forms of chronic pain, either ranging from mild to debilitating, and, and physicians um, prescribe or pharmacies fill enough prescriptions to give every single adult their own supply of, of opioids, and the city estimates that last year alone over 70,000 people died of drug-related overdoses, and the vast majority of them opioids. And and to, you know it's difficult to wrap your mind around numbers like that. But let me give you one example: the entire in the entire um, war, uh, fifty-eight thousand U.S. soldiers lost their lives. That is is a, a, a huge number and a huge tragedy, and um, and it needs to be addressed. And and just bringing cannabinoids into the picture as an option can make a big difference, and, and, and here's why I think why. Um, these horrible numbers of opioid-related deaths, there are states in this country in which these numbers are still increasing. However, those states that have implemented uh, medical cannabis programs or even recreational programs have seen a drop of opioid-related deaths, up to 25%. If we were to extrapolate those numbers across all the states, it would mean that over 17,000 people would have been saved by a single plant, uh, in this case cannabis alone. Those are significant numbers, and those numbers can be improved upon fairly quickly by simply knowing which type of cannabis is, 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 has the science behind it to direct it towards the different patient populations that suffer from the different types of pain that we mentioned earlier. And so, 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 and, and, you know, here's a, a, a thing to, to include the mix of the discussion. While these studies are correlations and correlations are not causations. Uh, these numbers are strong and they are potent, and they are also confirmed by um, and, and a great number of individual case studies that, um, that uh, I've been following uh, personally, just, just looking at the effectiveness of cannabinoids versus opioids, especially in the context of using cannabinoids to mitigate and to overcome opioid addiction in the first place which uh, can work uh, uh, really well if you know what you're doing.
3: So it's easy to get a prescription for opioids. Mm -hmm. There's usually no fear involved with taking them. Most people will accept what their doctors say. And yet we have all of these data uh, statistics from years ago and it's kind of interesting to me that you can't get up-to-date data regarding this very important topic. But it is definitely something we need to discuss. I want to switch gears over to uh, cannabis and consciousness as we round the hour. And uh, I want to know what you learned from writing your book, The Cannabis Health Index. Uh, You said here you did a thousand studies from cannabinoid and consciousness research. What did you find in this research? what can you say about consciousness and cannabinoids? Because all I really hear around the discussion of taking medical marijuana or taking marijuana or cannabis for your health is pain, 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 pain. If you're not in pain, why should you take cannabis? Well, what effect does cannabis have on consciousness?
4: Well, cannabis also works for a lot of different mood disorders, like anxiety and depression, for example. And so it, it, when we talk about um, consciousness, let's talk a little bit about mind-body medicine first. There's an overlap of uh, mind-body medicine and the cannabinoid health sciences. And that's primarily due to because cannabis works, for, works so well for so many different patient populations because it affects the body and the mind in such a way as to support and fortify the body's capacity for self-healing. And it does so primarily in two ways. Fact is, the right type of cannabis at the right dose, given or matched to each individual's patient's needs, will produce two things. It will induce a deep sense of relaxation, and two, it will produce um, multiple system homeostasis at a cellular level. And mind-body medicine is usually, you know, viewed upon who you talk to on a, you know, you can talk about it um, like um, definitions on a spectrum, if you will. On one end, there is, well, mind-body medicine is medicine that affects the body and the mind. And then there's the orthodox uh, perspective that says, well, uh, mind-body medicine is uh, primarily governed by the hypotheticals pituitary adrenal access. And um, and then my favorite definition of mind-body medicine, you know, and this is where consciousness plays into the picture, is, is has actually to do with the that the body has an innate intelligence. And that intelligence is using symptoms as a way to communicate. And depending on severity of symptoms, um, it is either an an invitation or a demand for change. And so, so to take consciousness out of the healing picture, especially when it comes to chronic pains, is is a great deepening and not the, the mitigation of symptoms, if you will. And so that perhaps sets a bit of the backdrop or context in in terms of talking about, you know, how cannabis can uh, uh, influence. Consciousness in such a way as to facilitate the healing process, and um, uh, let me give you, like, for example, a, uh, yeah, a personal example from from dealing with PTSD. One of the capacities of cannabis we already talked about is its incredible uh, ability to help you to relax. This is even a, uh, this is this even extended to uh, being in the presence of otherwise intolerable emotional material so 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 cannabis can put you into a place when when you are, are feeling feelings that normally would make you run in the worst kind of way by acting out by uh, seeking uh, uh, drugs to to numb the pain or the the, the shame or the the whatever intolerable emotional material you're confronted with. And so being, cannabis reminds us that we can create a space uh, that allows us to be in the presence of otherwise really difficult emotions uh, without having to Run without having to be defensive, without having to shy away from them, and sometimes, sometimes that alone is enough to make a big difference in the healing process of a lot of chronic conditions. Because a lot of this stuff is is what often underlies it.
3: Well, again, I go back to you know mm-hmm. what most people assume cannabis is. It's a it's a dangerous drug that can put you in jail. Uh, it's been demonized for so long that it's really difficult for people to then turn around a, a stigma that has been pounded into their their brain for years and and decades and decades, yeah, and to-, to say, hey, now, now it's a wonder, now it's a magical miracle healing plant. It just doesn't seem to come easy for some people. So, how do you how do you go uh, and and deal with the stigma? that's really everywhere. Parents have been telling their kids not to smoke it the same way they would, they would tell them not to do another, dru- another kind of drug. And it's been a schedule one drug for a long time. So how do we reconcile this confliction when we talk about mind-body medicine? We really do have to consider everyone's individual, not only biochemistry, but state of mind. Uh, some people are, are you know not everybody is all in the same emotional place as everyone else all the time. So when you consume cannabis and you go into that state of consumption uh, and you feel your pain go away and then the emotional stuff comes in and we have a relaxing setting uh, how do you how do you tell a patient or a partaker? to work with this plant in a positive way besides just the obvious healing. I mean, what about meditation? And what about going into, you know, what if you're happy and you want to consume cannabis? What's wrong with that? Because all I really hear, not just, not just, I'm not talking about just from what our conversation is happening, but out there in the world is that it's okay to take if you're in pain. But what if you're not in pain? How can it help you? Uh, If you're not in pain, I guess there's no real question in that. It's just more of a statement, actually. But, you know, we're talking about a really complex subject and we're trying to switch an entire country state by state over into seeing something differently and better then we've been taught and trained to see it for a very long time. How do you suggest people overcome the stigma and demonization of cannabis themselves on an individual basis, whether they're looking for pain management or not?
4: Uh, You bring up a a great number of great points, and um, let me respond to it by um, First of all, pointing out that it's actually horrific that there are still states where people can go to jail for a, a, a really good medicine. Um, second of all, um, I um, um, dealing with cannabis, as fantastic as it is, um, uh, requires a bit of responsibility on each of us to find out what type of cannabis. Is going to work best for for me, uh, considering what my beliefs are about it, considering the the. The, the crazy cognitive dissonance that's been created by the the conflicting reports, you know, one, the narrative on the war on drugs and um, all the horrific things. This is your, you know, the, the, the picture comes to mind of the ad. This is your, you know, with the pan and the fried eggs, this is your brain on drugs. And now there's, you know, 20,000 studies that indicate the therapeutic potential for all of the different um, uh, constituents that are contained within the plant, so how is one to reconcile? And I think that the the, the best way to do that is to uh, to to educate yourself and to help each other educate each other, and 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 one way to mitigate and to address the the fears that that are born, that are seeded by the narrative on the war on drugs, is to realize that, uh, yeah, there is a type of cannabis, the one that contains more THC than CBD, that if if taken too much can actually make the pain that you're feeling, that you want to treat, um, make it feel worse. There is that type of cannabis that can make an anxiety worse. There's that type of cannabis that can make you vomit more or uh, um, make your insomnia worse. And there is such thing as taking too much. You know, when, for example, if I try to take or employ THC sedative effects for my anxiety, but I take too much of it, then it actually pushes you into an an anxious state and, and may make the anxiety worse. And so simply, educating yourself that there are three types of cannabis. One where the risk, where there's an extremely fine line between a therapeutic effect and an adverse effect, and that's the chemotype one, the the type of cannabis that contains more THC than CBD. On the other hand, a chemotype three contains more CBD than THC. And if the THC amount is less than let's say 0.3%, there's no risk of of, uh, any psychological addiction potential. There's no risk of getting high. There's no risk of making any of the symptoms that you're feeling worse. And so there's no risk of adverse effects and yet you can still harness a great number of the therapeutic effects that you're looking for. Now, a type two is right in the middle you know, which means a relative equal amount between THC and CBD. And so the, now the science is beginning to emerge that tells us how to line up very specific, these three types of cannabis for very specific patient populations. And so that alone, you know, learning a little bit about how to do that is a big step in, in avoiding all the, the negative drama that's often associated with it. And, and if it turns out that a chemo type three doesn't give you the pain relief or the relaxations that you need, you can always slowly but gently dial in and increase your, your, your dosage of THC by, by just increasing the ratio gently and slowly. And then let your experience Looking inward into see how your body responds to it, how your emotions relate to it. How your psyche responds to it, and then and, and then see what type of cannabis experience is 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 helping you facilitate a deeper healing process. And it's a process, and and it's a give and take process. The science can inform us to a point. Our personal preferences about what kind of cannabis experience we wish to have can inform us to a point. But it's still a you know a bit of trial and error. At least three or four times until you find the type of uh, uh, cannabis constituents that are optimal for you and the type of experience you wish to have and the way you wish to grow. And so so most people don't know that they have options, that they have choices, that they can have this much freedom. And so it takes a little bit of time of learning and looking inward and that is part of the, the mind-body approach, going inward and checking in and seeing, you know, how you want to learn and, and what the, each experience has taught you, perhaps keeping some, some notes, some session log, and, and, and fine-tuning the process in that way. And once you have what you need, most likely you're going to be able to stick with it at least for longer periods of time. If you get better over, let's say, six months, uh, eight months, you may find that you need to adjust your your profile again because by now your endocannabinoid tone has improved, your endocannabinoid deficiency has diminished. And so as your healing continues, you constantly that your body is going to want or need different things. And here's the other thing that's interesting, and since we have an endocannabinoid system, an endo meaning within. Um, I've seen a number of patients able to heal and move out of their chronic conditions, out of their chronic state, using various cannabis-containing products, but then eventually adding a practice to their um, to their regimen, you know, like a meditation practice, or uh, they're developing a therapeutic support system. They're adding nutrition into the picture. A little and over time, they've been able to use less and less of uh, can, uh, external cannabinoids but actually learn to produce their endocannabinoids in such a way as to support and fortify their resilience and their healing process to a point where they hardly ever need to lean on cannabis at all as a as a method, but you know, perhaps just uh, as a preference or. Perhaps they occasionally need it or perhaps they wanted to explore the um, the doors of perceptions that are opened by creating extraordinary states of consciousness of which cannabis is certainly capable uh, of, of doing so excellent
3: I'm so glad to hear you say that would it be fair to say that THC helps to release pleasure endorphins
4: in the human body Absolutely. Here's the other interesting as far as the the science behind the overlap between mind-body medicine and the endocannabinoid health sciences. Um, uh, Both THC and CBD either uh, modulate or or that is influence uh, either in part or significantly over 20 neurotransmitters. That also, each of them have been identified as having mental emotional components to them. Like, let me give you an example. Um, epinephrine is a, 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 a neurotransmitter that's associated with excitement, with fear, with fight, flight, or freeze. Responses. Both THC and CBD can help you down regulate um, uh, and, uh, epinephrine, for example. And so, as epinephrine decreases in your system, you tend to relax. Your sympathetic, your fight, flight, freeze responses uh, uh, calm down, and your rest, repair, and, uh, and digest phase uh, makes itself known. Uh, and becomes more present, and that's just one example. There are 20 other different neurotransmitters, you know, for example, oxytocin, associated with um, um, trust, generosity, sensuality, is modulated by THC and CBD. So is uh, cortisol, the stress hormone, it's downregulated. There's norepinephrine, there's serotonin, uh, which is a, a drug uh, made by the human body that is also utilized by much of psychiatry in, in addressing uh, anxieties and depression. Um, if your serotonin level goes up, you know because the, uh, the emotion associated with the serotonin is happiness. And so you're, 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 your anxiety goes down, your depression goes down, and you have more of an expanded uh, uh, emotional reality. THC and CBD both. Uh, modulate the, the, uh, the um, uh, expression of serotonin. And like I said, there's now over 20 different um, uh, neurotransmitters and their emotional correlates modulated by endocannabinoid system by taking THC and CBD. And, uh, and it's just fascinating to see. And it's, it's interesting to note that it's a two way street. Um, um, if we change our chemistry, we change the way we feel, and when we change the way we feel, we change our chemistry. And the endocannabinoid system is the, the, the regulatory system that is actually at the front and center of producing these changes.
3: So THC really could be useful, and people really should understand the benefits of THC and why it's not just about CBD, Yes.
4: Absolutely, THC is one of my favorite plant-based molecules, and if used right at the right dose, matched to each individual's patient's needs, uh, it can be it can be a wonder drug. It can make a significant difference, not just in producing therapeutic effects, but it also can be used as a way to uh, expand uh, and explore uh, uh, aspects of consciousness, aspects of uh, um, um, a, a growth that, uh, it, you know, it touches the transpersonal.
3: Well, this hour has gone by very quickly. It is a conversation that's needed to be had. I've been speaking with Dr. Yui Blushing. You can go to his website, yuiblushing.com. He has three books available, the Cannabis Health Index, Breaking the Cycle of Opioid Addiction, and Healing with Cannabis, optimizing your ideal CBD THC ratio, if you would like to know more about what we've been talking about. Uh, Yui, what do you have going on that listeners can uh, check in? What's coming up new? Any events?
4: Uh, uh, the new, the um, uh, cannabis book will be out in, the last cannabis book will be out in, in October, I believe. That's what the publisher told me last. And um, uh, yeah, if people want to know more about how to match the ideal type of um, cannabis with a, a different, uh, with with a particular um, condition, they can um, they can look at it in the cannabis health index. And we're working on a data bank that is going to do that in a in an updated fashion, but we're not quite there yet. So stay tuned and um, as soon as it comes out, we'll make it available on the website and people can go there and, uh, and check it out for themselves to see what the sign says about what type of cannabis to use for what type of condition.
3: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us live today and sharing your uh, insight and expertise. And uh, I want to let everybody out there know that I will be doing more cannabis education next week, live Tuesday, 9 to 10 a.m. right here on KCAA. 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, 106.5 FM, the stations that leave no listener behind. I'd like to also let everybody know that I will be leading a spiritual nature of cannabis retreat in Denver, Colorado on August Eleventh. If you are interested in knowing more or registering for that event, you can go to my website, hillaryramo.com. So I want to just end end the note um, on a positive note because I brought Dr. Blushing on to have this discussion because. Probably like many of you, I'm really disgusted in some of the conversations that are going on in this country about something that is so important, and we really do deserve to have a complete picture of what's going on, how we can access it, how we can learn more if we want to, and how to avoid misinformation. You know, we have a lot of people out there on the streets buying product that they really don't even know what it is, they don't know what strain it is, they don't know where it comes from. We have to make sure our medicine is clean, that it's not filled with pesticides, and it doesn't come from corporate entities. And our country is in dire need of understanding the difference. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Hillary Raymo. This is Real Talk Radio.
0: CAA Loma Linda 10:50 AM 106.5 FM and now
1: 102.3 FM